This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter 3 is where we're at tonight. Uh, we're going to start in verse number, uh, uh, verses 17 and 18 is where we're going to spend our time. Look at us blazing through the book of James uh, with only uh, uh, two chapters left. Uh, we're finishing out James chapter 3 tonight. Uh, we've only been here for, uh, I don't know, maybe a year or so, and so we're uh, making really good progress through this book. Um, We'll be in verses uh, 17, 18 is really we're going to focus our time, but uh, we'll back up to verse number 13 just to give uh, context. If you missed last Sunday night, you should go back and listen to it on the podcast. We talked about the wisdom of this world, and today we're going to take a look at the characteristics of godly wisdom. The, kind of the opposite of what the world has to offer is what God has to offer. And again, this is really important for us as Christians that we remember that what God has to offer is the opposite of what the world has to offer. Now, that sounds really simple on the surface, and, and uh, again, I'm not trying to take this, uh, you know how some people take like a really simple concept, and they say it really slow, and you're like, wow, that was super deep. I'm not trying to be super deep or anything like that, I'm just trying to tell you. What God has to offer is the opposite of what the world has to offer. That's problematic in Christianity today when Christianity wants to adopt the methods and madness of the world and bring that into the church. Then the unsaved people kind of scratch their head and go, wait a minute, you're no different than the world. You're just a bad knockoff of the world. Um, But we're to be distinctively different. So when it comes to the wisdom that comes from God, it should be distinctly different from the wisdom that comes from the world. We'll take a look at that here tonight. James chapter 3, we're going to start in verse number 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Again, we took a look at last week how the, the uh, wisdom of the world uh, is not of God. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. That the, the wisdom of this world uh, pits us against one another. Strife and envying comes in. There has to be an us versus them mentality in the wisdom of the world. And us have to get ahead of them ever how that happens. The wisdom that the world has to offer makes sense to us. It's rational. Uh, We can figure it out on paper, but that's not the type of wisdom that God wants to offer us. And so tonight we'll take a look at the wisdom that comes from God. Know this, in any given situation, you can either do it one of two ways. You can either do it God's way or you can do it your way and just know God's ways are always best. Simple as that. When it comes to following wisdom, which wisdom is the the application of knowledge, how we uh, figure this life out and walk through this life and apply our knowledge to any given situation, you can handle it with the world's wisdom or you can handle it with God's wisdom, but you can't do both. And so you have to kind of pick a side. Kind of what we talked about this morning, uh, either I'm going to be walking with Jesus or I'm not. 
Either I'm going to be a committed follower of Christ or I'm not. I can't play both sides. And so when it comes to wisdom, your life will either be marked by walking in God's wisdom or by walking in the world's wisdom. Now, you might say, well, the world has a lot of wisdom. Get this. God's word says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. So again, to choose to walk into the world's wisdom and do things the world's way, you have to be willing to walk in what the Bible calls foolishness. And you only need to read the book of Proverbs to find out what happens to the fool. And so I want to encourage you, walk in wisdom. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. As we mature in Christ's likeness and become more like Jesus, we should ask the question less and less, is this right or is this wrong? Usually those things are really easy to discern. But we should ask ourselves, is this wise or is this unwise? And you and I want to walk in wisdom. We want to make the wise choice. And so as we have that in mind tonight, let's uh, jump into this chapter. Uh, first of all, verse number um, 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. So first of all, God's wisdom is pure. Well, where do we find God's wisdom? We find God's wisdom in God's word. Therefore, God's word is pure. Now, again, we run into trouble when we say things like, well, I don't really know if we can trust the Bible. If you can't trust the Bible, what can we trust? If God's word is not true, then what do we have? If there's parts of the Bible that are suspect, what about the rest of the Bible? There's a man several months ago that uh, I'd spoken with. He said, you know, we're not coming to Hui Call anymore because uh, I don't believe that the Bible is without error. And then the question is, okay, what parts are wrong? And again, there's no answer to that because no one really knows. And so then we place the whole Bible under the microscope and we begin to look and figure out, okay, I'm going to obey this part because this is true. I'm going to disobey that part because that part's not true. Whereas God says his word is pure. It's purified in a furnace seven times, the Bible says. God's also promised to preserve his word unto every generation. You can sit with full assurance tonight knowing that you have a full, complete copy of the word of God in your hands. None of it's been lost. None of it's been corrupted. None of it has man's thoughts tacked onto it, regardless of what people may say, because God promised to preserve his word unto every generation. If God did not preserve his word to every generation, then God has failed his promises, which makes him a liar. And that's problematic in 10,000 different areas. So you can take God's word to the bank and, and recognize that it is pure. But the word pure also means that the word is holy and undefiled. When we talk about holy, we're talking about set apart from the things of this world. When we talk about undefiled, it means uh, uncorrupted. And so when we talk about the Word of God, when we talk about the promises of God, when we talk about the wisdom that comes from God, we know that it's holy because it came from God. And again, the word holy sometimes gets a bad rap, but it means separate from sin. And so God's Word, God's wisdom is always separate from sin. So we can never look at a situation that it would be considered sinful and say that that is God's wisdom because God's wisdom is always pure. It's holy. It's undefiled. It's uncontaminated. When we think of purity, we might think of the purity of water. You might think of the purity of a diamond or something like that. It's undefiled. It's perfect in every way. And I know when you begin to look at things like water and you begin to test different levels, it might not be perfect. And when you can look at diamonds, all of them have flaws somewhere and things like that. But at the end of the day, God's word is perfect and without flaw. And so when he says 
that the wisdom that comes from God, very first characteristic of it is it is pure. And so again, that gives you and I a level of certainty. That should build our faith that we're trusting something, the wisdom of God, that is completely and totally pure, but God's wisdom also loves peace. The wisdom of God will strive for peace. Now, when you and I think of peace, if I were to ask you, what is the opposite of peace, you would more than likely say war, right? It's what we think of in our minds, like the absence of fighting. But when the Bible speaks of the word peace, it's not talking about the opposite of war. Again, if you take a look at the fruit of the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's not talking about the absence of conflict, while that's definitely important. Oftentimes when the Bible speaks of peace, it talks about clarity. Uh, if, you, if you notice in our passage here, um, uh, to this evening, uh, verse number 14, but you have, talking about the, the wisdom of the world, but you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For in envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. And so peaceable, it goes back to the confusion that's offered by the world. And so again, when we talk about peace, we're really talking about clarity. And if you're a Christian, when it comes back to the Word of God, the Word of God should give you peace because it's crystal clear what you're supposed to do. It's not a matter of like, oh, I'm not really sure what this situation do. Just go back to the Bible and find it out. I mentioned this morning that I was talking with a friend a couple of weeks ago who was in a mess of problems. They just began to pull out one thing and another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing. And I said, I have the answer for everything that ails you. And I'm going to tell you what it is. And we began to go back to Scripture. And we began to, to use the Bible to attack every single one of those situations that came up. Now, again, not a, not a therapist, not a counselor, not trained or have any type of background in those things. But here's the thing. I know the Bible. And God's Word has the answer for what ails you. And so, again, that's going to be the first place that we run to because it has answers. And it should bring peace to us because it brings clarity to a situation. Look, if there's drama in your marriage, there's drama in your workplace, there's strife between you and another person, the Bible tells you what's wrong, and it is pride 100% of the time. Now, there might be some other issues that are stacked on top of that, but at the end of the day, the Bible says only by pride comes contention. So the Bible has the answer for something like that. And so if our marriage is uh, a little bit rocky or a little bit tense or a little bit... Um, uh, problem, uh, troublesome at times, we can trace that back to the root of that being pride. And so again, the Bible gives clarity. The Bible helps us to understand God's word. The world has a spirit of competitiveness and a selfish ambition, but the word of God wants peace. It wants clarity. It wants all of us to be on the same page. And while the peace of God and the presence of God will bring us to a place where there is unity, where we are all on the same page, that, hey, if there's a fight, I'm not in it because I know where I stand on this given situation. Hey, you want to stir up strife? You want to stir up drama? You're welcome to do that, but I'm not going to have any part of that because the Spirit will bring peace in you. The Word of God will bring peace into your life. The world wants selfish ambition. The world wants to put, them, put a, a ladder of, of where people rank Again, social media wants you to build your own platform and your own brand. 
And you have these, quote, influencers who have <laughs> evidently don't have jobs. They just take lots of pictures and videos, and they say, oh, that's not on brand for me. I don't even really understand what that means. It's not because I'm old. It's because I don't care. Because again, at the end of the day, we're not setting ourselves up in a status structure. Sometimes we often see this even in unhealthy churches where there's a structure of people in the church and this person's above that person and uh, this person has more say because they've been here for 30 plus years and you just got here six months ago. Oh, this person over here has more say because uh, you know they have a, a friend or a family member that's very influential. This person over here has more say because they give X amount of dollars to the church and so these are the people that are kind of in the structure of what takes place in the church. Hey, look, here's how the church is structured. Christ is the head. Every single other person is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That's it. When it comes to the flow chart, get this, the pastor doesn't even make it into the flow chart. He's down with all the bond slaves like everybody else. I'm just a regular dude. God's given me a holy calling. The office of a pastor is a high office. It's worthy of respect and honor according to the Bible. But at the end of the day, I'm just a regular guy with a unique calling on his life. That's all. Don't, don't make a celebrity out of pastors, for heaven's sakes. It's strange to me sometimes people, uh, I'll talk to them out on the curb, and, and no lie, at least once a month, people are like, I can't believe that the pastor stands out here and talks to people. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't believe a pastor wouldn't stand outside and talk to people. That, does, that just doesn't even compute to me. Again, because the Spirit of God will, doesn't bring any type of competitiveness or any flow charts or any uh, I'm better than you or I'm smarter than you or anything along those lines. That's the worldly wisdom. So many times, uh, this was very popular back in the, the 90s in the church growth movement and things like that where uh, Saddleback Church, you should, or not Saddleback Church, Saddleback Church was part of it, but also Willow Creek Church in, in Chicago, Illinois basically created a model where the pastor was the CEO and it was his job to put men under him that would be like the CFO and COO and stuff like that. And you structured the church like a business and basically created this big flow chart and, and committees and executive chairs and all this other nonsense. It's just like, that is so non-scriptural and that's taking the wisdom of the world and trying to shoehorn it into Jesus's church. And it didn't work. So again, we can't adopt the mindset of the world and try to bring it into the church. We can't live our lives in opposition to the wisdom of God and at the same time expect the blessings of God. It doesn't work that way. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 9, Jesus is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That when you and I live out biblical wisdom and God's wisdom and we walk in the Spirit, there should be an absence of strife and drama on our part. I can't control what other people do, but I can control me. I want to bring healing to a situation. I want to bring resolution to a situation because the Bible says blessed are the peacemakers and I want to be blessed. And that comes from seeking peace. Again, clarity, wisdom, Walking in the Spirit, if there's strife, it's not on my part because I'm walking in humility and I'm, and I'm seeking peace. Next, we're, again, we're just going down through this passage of Scripture, verse number 17, for that wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, then it's gentle. God's wisdom is gentle. Look, the word gentle, you could say, probably isn't a popular word amongst dudes. No guy wants to be described as gentle. Oh, you know, Levi, he's that super gentle dude that works with our teenagers. It's just like, that's not a compliment, right? 
When you think of gentle, what do you think of? You think of guys who like soft hands that like manicure their hands and like their nail beds are pushed back all the way and they probably file their fingernails and they probably have a comb in their back pocket to comb their hair. Like he's gentle, right? <laughs> That's not what the Bible's talking about. Not that kind of stuff, right? The Bible has a word for that. It's probably effeminate, but I didn't say that. Uh, but... But here's the thing, to be gentle doesn't mean that you're a sissy, it doesn't mean that you're soft, it's not a derogatory worm, a, a, a derogatory word, it's actually a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. And the idea of gentleness comes down to the idea of this, it's equitable, it's fair, it's fitting, it's appropriate, it's courteous, it's considerate. When we talk about the wisdom of God, this type of wisdom is kind. It's not harsh and abrasive. Now, again, the word of God is a difficult pill to swallow. It tells us things that we don't want to hear. The Bible tells us that we are sinners, that there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us that even on our best day, we fall short. And that our lives are completely and totally hopeless unless we have our feet firmly planted on the solid rock, which is Christ. That's a hard pill to swallow. You're nothing without Jesus. Oh yeah, watch me. But here's the thing. We don't have to make the gospel message harsh or abrasive. God loves you. Jesus died for you. Of course you're a failure, but I am too. And we're in this boat together. And if you're really honest, like I can be, I realize that I have nothing to show in my life of any value apart from what Christ has done in me. But some people aren't there yet. But that doesn't mean we have to be harsh and abrasive. Again, I, I grew up uh, in, in the South, and, and <laughs> sometimes pastors pride themselves on, quote, hard preaching. <laughs> hard preaching generally uh, amounts to Screaming, yelling, stomping your foot, having a hank in your back pockets because you got to wave the sweat off of you. When you hold the Bible like this and you shake it at people like this and you shout. And you, some of you have never seen this before. You should watch like YouTube clips because it's absolutely entertaining would be the right word. Um, <laughs> let me just tell you this though. When someone makes theatrics part of the preaching of the word, it loses its power. We're not there to put on a show. By the same token, if I need 18 different colored lights to change as I shift from point to point, right? And I don't need theatrics to communicate the Word of God. Let the Word of God stand on its own. We don't have to preach the Word in a harsh manner. We don't have to be ugly with the Word of God. We don't have to make people feel badly by the way that we use our words, Look, if you preach the word of God, if you share the gospel appropriately, if you tell people what the Bible says, they're going to feel crummy about their situation because the Holy Spirit has condemned their sin. You don't have to add insult to injury. I often say that the gospel message is an offensive message by itself. Don't be offensive with it. Again, if, you, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that when I share the gospel, I say, we've all broken God's law. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. I fall short. You fall short. We collectively deserve God's judgment and wrath. We collectively need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Because I want to be, get this, I want to be gentle with the message of the gospel. 
Now, again, you, if you've been here for any length of time, you realize I have no problem using words like wrath, punishment, hell, suffering. Those are Bible words, but I want to be gentle with them. I don't want to add offense to, to a situation. And so the wisdom that comes from God isn't looking to be offensive. It isn't looking to be harsh. It isn't looking to be abrasive. Jesus never went and just stirred up the hornet's nest just for fun. That's just not what he did. And so the wisdom that comes from God, it's going to be kind. It's going to be caring. It's going to be loving. It's going to want to be fair and equitable and appropriate in a given situation. Next we see verse number 17. For the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated. That's not a phrase that we uh, normally use in our vernacular, but it basically means that God's wisdom is ready to obey and at the same time, it's also teachable. Easy to be entreated basically means whatever I hear, I'm going to follow that. And if I'm wrong, I want to fix it. There's a lot of humility that's built into the wisdom that comes from God. So many times Christians uh, sit in church for two weeks and they think they've got life figured out. And they go out and try to take the bull by the horns. <laughs> and then they get uh, wonder why they got trampled. Yeah, Hang tight. Be teachable. Whatever you know, you should obey. But I have to admit that when I first started following Jesus, I was quick to, man, pull out my gospel gun on anybody that I could mow down, you know? I was quick to point out the sins of other people. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're dishonoring God. Shame on you. You'll never see God's blessing as you continue to live in wicked, wretched sin. You're a reprobate. You're a sinner. Shame on you. How could you call yourself a Christian? You ought to be embarrassed by the way that you live your life because you're embarrassing the name of Jesus Christ. And man, you know how many people I, I caught with that message? Zip. You know how many people I probably turned away from Christ with that message? Probably a dozen or so. Just again, I wasn't walking in wisdom. I wasn't willing to have a teachable spirit to learn, to understand. I just wanted to get people. And again, we can even do good things bad ways. We can even be really zealous about our faith with a desire to share our faith and passionate about the gospel, but at the same time do it the wrong way. We don't want to do that either. We want, get this, we want God's wisdom. And God's wisdom says, hey, tell me something and I'll do it. And, and again, I want to help you tonight and I want to be gentle when I say this. But if you know what you're supposed to do and you willingly disobey, you are a fool because it will not end well. Simple as that. And I say that, again, not tonight, not to be harsh. I want to be gentle as I say it, because I love you. I'm saving th these things out of love and compassion for you, because I don't want to see you ruin your life. I don't want to see you forsake and miss God's blessings. I don't say this to be mean or ugly or anything like that. I get no joy by telling anybody that they're living foolishly, or if you continue to disobey God's word, you know, you're going to see God's chastisement if you're one of his children. I want you to walk in wisdom. I want you to be so knowledgeable about the scriptures that you can figure out, hey, this just isn't wise. I don't want to be involved in this. I don't want to do this. God expects more of me. And so, again, true wisdom realizes that we have to continue to grow in knowledge and wisdom. Hey, I realize that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I realize there's people in this church that I can learn and grow from, and I want to be teachable. Hey, there's some things that I might have gotten wrong in my life that I want to make right. Hey, there might be, get this, there might be some things about the Bible that I think to be true that I could be wrong on, and I want to be open to correction. 
Look, anybody who's ever come here before who said, I don't agree with what you believe about X, Y, Z. Okay, show me from the scriptures. I want to know if I'm wrong. <laughs> if I'm wrong on something from the Bible, I want to make it right for sure. And, and again, some, sometimes well-meaning people have come and given their scriptural position and said, it's just not how I interpret the Bible. That's not what I believe this scripture means because of X, Y, and Z. Hey, but I appreciate that. I want to be teachable. I, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I get that. Sometimes I have to ask questions. Man, I love, sometimes I'll, I'll take my, my sermon notes and I'll run it past uh, John Stoker and say, hey, John, take a look at this and tell me your thoughts on it. Look, I know that John's 10 times smarter than I am. I have no problem with that. But at the end of the day, I want to be teachable. If I'm off track on something, man, tell me. If I've done something wrong, tell me. If I've offended someone, let me know. I want to make it right. I want to repent. That's godly wisdom. You see, the world's wisdom is stubborn. There's no way that I could be wrong. And many times in marriage relationships and even in relationships in the workplace and with friends and neighbors and things like that, we refuse to be wrong. <laughs> and we get this idea that if there's a conflict, I am always automatically on the right side and everyone else is immediately wrong and I gotta bring them over to my side. But that's generally not the case. Generally, there's enough you know, problems to go around and I need to figure out what part of this I need to fix. And so godly wisdom is humble. I'm quick to obey whatever I need to if God makes that clear for me. Man, I'm quick to, to learn. I want to maintain a teachable spirit. So many times people come to church and they're like, well, I've been a Christian for 50 years. You're not going to tell me anything that I don't already know. Okay. Could you just obey the things that you do know then? Could you be teachable? Uh, I love teachable Christians. I love people that have been walking with Jesus for longer than I've been alive yet still want to learn and grow in their faith. I love that. That's where you'll see growth. Look, we can grow until the day that we die as long as we maintain a teachable, humble spirit. That's what it means here when it says the wisdom of God is easy to be entreated. Next, God's wisdom is full of mercy and compassion. You want to talk about two areas where I struggle? Mercy and compassion. I don't know if you've ever in your life taken a spiritual gifts test before. It's usually like a multiple choice uh, question. Usually like you rate your answers like one through five or one through ten or something like that. And they ask you different questions. You know, would you rather, you know, uh, teach a Sunday school class or would you rather like, uh, you know, stack chairs after the service is over, you know? Uh, what are some areas where you feel like you thrive and grow? And one of the questions on one of them that I took one time is like, if you saw a wounded cat on the side of the road, what would you do? Swerve? Towards it? <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Carrie, I'm sorry. Where, where's Carrie? Carrie, Carrie I'm sorry. Um, Carrie has a cat sanctuary. And so, sorry. But here's the thing. Like, mercy, I just don't, I don't got it, you know? And, and again, that played itself out poorly early on in my, my ministry. And the fact that people come to me with problems, it's like, bro, what do you want, you know? You disobey God, you're an idiot, you're a fool. What do you expect? You expect things to go well? You're gonna disobey God and then expect God's blessings? It doesn't work that way. Like, any two-year-old would know that. Any five-year-old knows that one plus one is two and you can't seem to figure out simple math. Disobey God plus rebel against God does not equal God's blessings. Like, what's your problem, man? 
And I thought, here I am, man, giving it to them hard, right? I wasn't gentle, I wasn't compassionate, I wasn't merciful. And I had to change. You know, again, sometimes we say things like, well, God didn't just design me that way. God didn't really give me a whole lot in the mercy and compassion department. I'm like a go-getter. I'm like a tell-it-how-it-is kind of person. Okay, I think all of us would agree, though, that Jesus was full of mercy and compassion. I think we would agree with that. And so if you want to be Christ-like, you have to have mercy and compassion. So guess what? You don't have it, you need to grow. And if you're like me, growth is painful, it's difficult, and sometimes we run from it because it's so much easier to say, well, that's just not me, that's not how I'm designed, that's not my personality, that's not how God made me. And let me just tell you, that's a cop-out. Because God's wisdom is full of mercy, God's wisdom is full of compassion. Wow, I'm, now, this is me, wow, I'm really sorry to hear that you've gotten yourself in this situation. I don't know that I've ever gone through a situation like this, but I feel what I can for you. My heart hurts with you. How can I help? I really want to pray with you on this. Can you think of anything in the scripture that would help us in, in a time like this? I'd like to introduce you to this person over here. They could probably help with what you're going through more than I could because I've never experienced that before. Hey, I want to encourage you to be in church this week because the more that you're around other Christians, the more you hear the preaching from God's word, it's going to help you. You know why? Because that's mercy and compassion in action. That's godly wisdom. John in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse number 16 says this, Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Interesting, John, 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. says, hereby we do perceive the love of God. Here's how we receive the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we would say to that, amen. Yeah, praise God. Jesus gave his life for a sinner like me. Man, we sang about it all night tonight. Yeah, praise God. The verse isn't over yet. Read the rest of the verse. And we should lay down our life for the brethren. Oh, that's difficult. Well, that's hard. Never said it was going to be easy. That's why it's godly wisdom, not the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world says, hey, you made your bed. You need to lay in it. You dug yourself a hole. Get yourself out of it. That's what the wisdom of the world says. And the wisdom of the world says that if you uh, find yourself in a bad predicament, it was the poor decisions that you made or the opportunities for help that you didn't yield to and all, all these other laundry lists of things. But mercy and compassion says, wow, how did you find yourself in this situation? And how can I help? Again, when we take the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, lots of people walked past and saw a guy that was in need. There was one guy that stopped and says, hey, let me help. Get on my donkey. I'm going to give you a ride. Hey, I'm going to bind up your wounds. Hey, I'm going to drop you off at a hotel. I'm going to pay in advance for your room. Stay as long as you need to until you get better. One person did that. And that was the person who showed mercy and compassion. John goes on in 1 John to say, But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And John drops some heavy, heavy thoughts here. Hey, you say that you love people, but you see them in need, and, and you turn away from that? No, 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 no. You need to turn to embrace that. You got a brother and sister in need? Man, how can I help? 
Because you can't turn a blind eye to the suffering of others and say that you love them at the same time. It doesn't work that way. That's not godly wisdom. That's the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of the world says, not my problem. Now, can you fix every problem in the world? You can't. Guaranteed. For me, I was just talking with, with, with Trey this morning. I said, I am super duper burdened for the people of the Ukraine right now. Like, burdened. How many Ukrainians do I know? Zip. None. If you gave me $1 million to draw a circle around the Ukraine, I'd struggle for a while and probably get it wrong. But the fact that there are people on the other side of the world that are living in fear tonight, that there's Christians over in that nation that are cowering, waiting, hearing helicopters fly over, planes fly over, hearing tanks set up, that, that concerns me. You say, not my problem. I'm not from the Ukraine. Good, that's the world's wisdom. Not my problem. But compassion says, that hurts my heart. Now, what can you and I do for the Ukraine tonight? Nothing, unless you know somebody there that has a plan. I don't have a plan. But you know what I can do? I can pray. I can maintain a, a tender heart towards those people. I can pray that God would, I know there's missionaries over in the Ukraine right now, I pray that God would continue to give them opportunity to share Jesus share the gospel but having a heart of compassion means that we have the heart of christ having a cold selfish heart is the opposite of god's wisdom because god's wisdom is full of mercy and compassion his love overrules impatience and allows us to meet people where they are <clears throat> that's something that i wish i'd learned a long time ago again i'm a, a very arrogant proud person in my flesh I get frustrated with people really, really easily. And I don't want to be that way. I want to have compassion. And the love of Christ allows me to do that. It allows me to see people where they are and try to help them and meet them where they are. Hey, you're not where you need to be yet? Let's figure out a plan to get there. Hey, you want to be more committed to Christ? Let me give you some, some ideas. Let's put together a plan. Hey, you're hurting, you're struggling? Let me help. Let me enlist other people that can help you. And so again, the love of Christ is not going to cause us to be frustrated or bent out of shape with people who want to be compassionate. The Bible says in Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36 of Christ, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having a shepherd. Mercy and compassion change a lot, and that's what we get from God's wisdom. Again, as we go down through this passage here tonight, full of mercy and good fruit, verse number 17, at the end, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You see, God's wisdom is impartial and doesn't discriminate. Because God, the love of God, the wisdom of God is impartial, doesn't matter how much money you got in your bank account, God loves you and is for you the same amount. Doesn't matter where you went to college, what kind of uh, car you drive, how much money you make a year, God loves you and values you just the same. And James has already talked to us about partiality in chapter number two. We don't say to the guy who's got a lot of money, hey, why don't you sit over here? And the guy that's broke, hey, you should stand up in the back. He's already talked to us about that. But he goes back and says, hey, the wisdom that comes from God, it doesn't do partiality. The Bible says that God's not a respecter of persons, that every single person is in the same boat before God. You've broken God's law. You're a sinner. You're in danger of God's wrath. But Jesus died to pay for your sins. And any sinner that would come to God in faith and repentance can be saved. 
That's the gospel. The gospel is the, the crux of the Bible. And it is a story of impartiality. And so again, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, God's truth, God's wisdom, they're applied universally. The wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs that applied in Solomon's day also applies to our life today as well. The wisdom that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount, that truth that he gave, it's still applicable 2,000 years later, probably even more so than it was at the time. The wisdom and truth that Paul gave to Timothy, hey, Timothy, in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves and haters of God. They'll desire to find themselves teachers who they'll have itching ears and they'll want to be tickled and told what they want to hear. Man, is that true today? Absolutely. You know why? Because God's truth, God's wisdom never fails. Again, when you take things like the wisdom of this world, it always fails. It's constantly changing. Again, we even take that in America, you know, 150 years ago, your value in society was deemed by the color of your skin. That was the world's wisdom. And even later than that, your value in society was determined whether you were male or female. And so again, that's the world's wisdom. In God's society, He's impartial. None of those things matter. And they've never mattered to God. No one is of more value to God than another. And that's the wisdom that comes from God. And God's truth and wisdom are just applied universally to every person at whatever point in time that they've lived. Next, verse 17 at the end says that the wisdom of God is without hypocrisy. God's wisdom is genuine without hypocrisy. Man, this is a harsh word. And sometimes amongst Christians especially, and even in, amongst non-Christians, it's a misunderstood word. So you and I need to get crystal clear on what the word hypocrisy means and what it does not mean, okay? The word hypocrisy means, in the literal translation, one who wears a mask. And so basically, you are a fake and you know it. You put on the outside mask of a Christian and you look great on the outside. But inside, you continue to live a wicked, carnal, rebellious life against God. That is hypocrisy. You come to church, you say amen, you say praise the Lord. You might be involved in a small group and you carry a really big Bible. But you know at the end of the day that you're living a double life. That's hypocrisy. I'm claiming to be one thing with my mouth and I'm living a different way with my life. That's hypocrisy. And I'm hoping that my mouth will cover up the wicked things that are taking place behind the scenes. But the things that I'm saying, I don't really believe or subscribe to because my lifestyle doesn't back it up. That's hypocrisy. And so many times people say, well, if I become a Christian, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Uh, no, you need to understand what hypocrisy means. Now, what hypocrisy does not mean is that you believe the Bible to be true, you submit yourself to the authority of Christ, yet you still struggle with sin. That doesn't make you a hypocrite, that makes you human. I'm trying my best, I'm struggling in these areas, I wanna make progress, but sometimes my sin drags me back, 
I really want to live for Jesus. I'm open, I'm transparent about my struggles and what I'm going through, and I'm seeking the help that I need, and I'm calling on Jesus to give me victory over sin, and I want to kick this thing once and for all. I'm trying with every fiber of my being to continue to push forward. That's not hypocrisy. That's just regular Christian living. None of us are perfect in this room, myself included. And so the wisdom that comes from God doesn't try to put on a front That's why Jesus had such a problem with the Pharisees. Hey, guys, you look like whitewashed tombs on the outside, beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You're sickening. You're disgusting. You have all these people tricked into believing that you're something that you're not. You stand in the marketplace, and you offer big prayers, and you have these big long robes with very uh, intense types of uh, decorations on them. You wear these big, huge hats in the marketplace, and you pray really loud so that everybody will look at you. Shame on you because I know how you really live. That's hypocrisy. But look, you're trying to love Jesus. You're trying to walk in righteousness and holiness, and you slip up. You struggle. You are still struggling against your sin, and you're fighting. Man, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. That just makes you a Christian who struggles against sin. Join the club. But here's the difference. A Christian who struggles with sin, there's a struggle, there's a fight. The Christian who lays down in their sin and wallows in their sin and rolls around in their sin and covers up and is comforted by their sin, yet at the same time talks a talk of like, you need to follow Jesus and you need to repent, you need to get right with God, that's hypocrisy. And look, when it comes to Scripture, there's no sin that Jesus called out more often than hypocrisy. It's one of the most condemned uh, sins in Scripture by Christ himself. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, when you give your offerings, don't do it in a flashy, showy way so that everybody can see that. When you pray, don't pray out in the open in the middle of the market. Go and find a closet to pray in so nobody sees you. Hey, when you fast, wash your face and iron your clothes and look like you're, you've got it together instead of being all sad and droopy-faced. Come on. Jesus condemned hypocrisy again and called out scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. Man, again and again and again for hypocrisy. And let me just tell you this, Christian. You can't afford hypocrisy. You can't. First of all, it damages your soul because you're sinning against God, you're living a fake life, and you cannot live duplicitously. Again, we've already covered in James. James has said, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so again, if you're just trying to to get your life back on track, again, there's a lot of grace for you. If you're that's some sin that you're struggling with. God has enough grace that you need to make it through that. And so I don't want to take this and discourage anyone. But I just want to say you cannot live in hypocrisy. It doesn't end well. It damages your own soul. It ruins your relationship with God. And let me help you with this. It hurts your church. Your church family hurts because of your sin that you don't want to confess, that you don't want to make right. You know, one of the greatest fears that I have as a pastor, (laughs) again, this might be silly to you, but I'm worried one time that somebody's going to have a hooey call a sticker on their car parked in front of a bar and come stumbling out to their car and get in and and drive down the road. I think, (laughs) no lie, things like that keep me up at night sometimes, seriously. Some guy puts a hooey call a sticker on the back of his car and it's a place where he shouldn't be doing things that he shouldn't do. 
we sold a, we we just moved here and we just started the church. We bought a car and it wasn't a great car for us, and so we decided to sell it and get something different. And when we sold it, we had a Hui Kala sticker on the back, and I thought to myself, I'm just going to leave it there, free advertisement. We were a new church, you know. There's probably less than 50 people in our church at the time, and I thought to myself, free advertisement, man. And if these people want to scrape it off when they buy it. It's their car. They bought it. They can do whatever they want. I'm just going to leave it on there. I thought to myself. <laughs> One of the folks that came to our church was just like, yeah, I saw somebody from your, your church um, one time cut me off on the freeway. I was like, well, that wasn't nice. Yeah, not only did they cut me off, they honked their horn and gave a one-finger shock out the window. <sighs> You're kidding me. Well, that's terrible. Do you remember what kind of car it was? Yeah, it was a silver SUV. <laughs> oh, that was our car <laughs> that we sold. <laughs> That, that was my car, but I wasn't driving it. I promise you, I haven't owned that car in, in six months. You know, it's, should have scraped the sticker off of that one. You know why? Hypocrisy. I don't want somebody living like that, acting like that, and claiming to be a Christian. Look, I don't want you to have who we call on your hydro flask that you take to work and then cussing up a storm and talking filthy. No, that's hypocrisy. It's the last thing Christians need. And so when you decide to live in hypocrisy and people know where you go to church, it hurts the church. It hurts your church family. It hurts the gospel. It hurts the cause of Christ. There's no place for hypocrisy in the church. And, and no lie, I've had this conversation with people before. They said, well, pastor, I think it's time for me to move churches because obviously my sin is hurting the church. And what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go to the church up the street. You're just going to hurt the church up the street, man. Like, Really? You're a roving cancer to everybody that you attach yourself to. He said, you didn't really say that. I totally said that. Like, look, go to join the Mormon church or the Jehovah's Witnesses or something like that if you want to live like that. Hurt them. Don't hurt the church that Jesus died and bled for, for heaven's sakes. Because again, there's no place for hypocrisy. Genuine, transparent, open, and honest. I love it when I sit down with people and say, they say, hey, pastor, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Here's what I'm struggling with. Okay, that helps me. I'm an alcoholic. Good, I can fix that with the Lord's help. There's answers for that. Hey, pastor, I need help. I've got a filthy mouth. Good, I can help you with that all day long. What I hate is the people who put on a facade and then you find out six months, 12 months, 18 months down the road that that's not really how they're living. You know why? Because your sin will always find you out. And so the wisdom that comes from God, it's open, it's honest, it's transparent. There's no hypocrisy associated with that. Final thought here tonight. Verse number 18 is kind of hard to read. Um, again, because uh, even in the Greek language, you have to read it and reread it a couple times to figure out exactly what it's saying. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Kind of an easier way to understand that might be a harvest of righteousness comes from creating an environment of peace. When it talks about being sown in peace, it's kind of the climate, the environment that we're growing this peace in. This, this peace that grows in this climate ultimately will bring forth righteousness. What does this mean? This means if you follow God's wisdom, righteousness will be the result. Doing things the right way, doing things God's way comes as a result of us following after godly wisdom. And look, all of us want God's blessings. Good. God tells us how to do that. Walk in wisdom. You see, God's wisdom will flourish in a climate of peace and bring about righteousness in our life. The right things. 
is what righteousness means. Following after God's commandments, that's what righteousness means. Doing things God's way, that's what righteousness means. That comes as we commit to walking in God's wisdom. Again, at the end of the day, you can do what makes sense to you or you can do what God says. Sometimes those align. Sometimes they're different. Sometimes doing what God says is actually what you want to do, and that's easy. Sometimes doing what God wants you to do requires sacrifice, submission. That's a lot harder. But again, God says you can do it your way, you can do it my way, but I can tell you how it ends. I love in the Old Testament, uh, it's the book of Numbers. It goes through and says, hey, if you follow me, and obey me, here's all the blessings that I'll give you. Man, it outlines probably 30 verses of blessings that God will pour out upon the righteous. But then he goes on and says this. If you choose to disobey me, here's the curses that will come upon you. And it lists probably 30 verses of curses that come upon you. It's really, really easy. If you want God's blessings, do things God's way. If you want your life to be blessed, follow godly wisdom. Look, you want strife, you want drama, follow the world's wisdom. That's what, again, the verses before this told us that. But you and I need to walk in wisdom. That's why I encourage you every single day of the world, be in the Word of God. Be in the Bible every single solitary day of your life. Because you need as much wisdom as you can get. I need as much wisdom as I can get. Be in prayer every single day of the world because you're communicating with God. And here's what James says in in chapter number one, great promise from God's word. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. You need wisdom, just ask for it. God will heap it upon you in portions that you cannot control. That's why you need to spend time with godly Christians who are walking in wisdom. Again, all you have to do is read the book of Proverbs and it'll tell you what happens when you walk in a company of fools. You'll be foolish. And so again, surround yourself with the right type of people. Surround yourself with the Word of God and spend time in prayer. Walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, godly wisdom is there for the taking. But you have to choose to walk in it. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, Jesus loves you and died on the cross to pay for your sins. You have no hope apart from Christ and his work upon the cross. Put your faith in him by faith and repentance tonight, and you can be saved and born again. And then all the promises of the word of God are yours at your disposal. But for those of us that are Christians, man, it's hard to walk in wisdom sometimes, right? Because the world has flashing lights pointing you to their wisdom, what they say is important, what they say is fulfilling. But then God's wisdom requires a little bit of self-sacrifice and a little bit of delayed gratification, if you will. But it's worth it. I promise you that. Let's walk in wisdom this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.